Uh, we're now reading from the uh, book of John, chapter 17, 1 through 19. <clears throat> it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lift up his, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom have, you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave to me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you have gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and that they have believed that, they, that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, as even we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you, gave, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Aaron. Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Matt Ortiz, and I am uh, one of the, the pastors here. Um, and it's so, it's so good to see uh, you here. I mean, given time change... And the stomach bug that's been going around and the threat of the coronavirus, I am stoked to see you here this morning. I know some of you might be dragging because you lost an hour. How many of you want your hour back? Yes, I know, we all do. So do I. And so if, uh, I know you're dragging, if you start dozing off, don't worry, I'll help you out. I will see you and I will call you out by name. And I will work you into one of my sermon illustrations. Okay? If you don't want to fall asleep, just throw out amens every now and then throughout the sermon. Yes. And whoever says amen the most will give you a prize. Like a bottle of hand sanitizer or something. I know. They're like going for 60 bucks on Amazon. Uh, Speaking of hand sanitizer and germs and stuff, the Lord's Supper is like germ-phobic friendly this, this morning. Uh, we have uh, little paper cups with a 
piece of bread in each one and, and some little paper cups with juice or, or wine in it. So you just take one of each um, when, it's time, uh, when it's time to do that, and then we'll take it uh, together. So uh, we are nearing the end of our series called Prepare for Spiritual Battle. And uh, I did not want to end this series uh, without uh, looking at this text together. If you're paying attention, I mean, if you heard it before, uh, maybe it's familiar to you and, and then it's come to a point where it's lost on you because you've heard it so many times. Uh, my hope is that uh, you will have a new value for this passage because the truth is, if you are paying attention, if you're thinking through the implications, if, if it raised some questions in your mind, uh, you will realize that this passage is absolutely mind-blowing. I mean, here what we have in this passage is God praying to God, right? This is right before Jesus is arrested. The next day, he's going to be executed. And you know what? He knows it. Now let me ask you, what if you found out that tomorrow you were going to be executed? What are some of the things that, that you would be praying for? You'd probably be praying for the things that are most important to you, right? Your life is coming to its end. You know it. And if you're praying, you're going to pray for the things that are most important to you. And that is, that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He is praying for what is most important to him, and it includes praying for you. One commentator says about this passage, that this passage is one of the mountain peaks of Revelation. Another commentator says that it is perhaps the most sacred passage in all four Gospels. So, where do you start with a passage like this. I mean, Jesus' glorious prayer. Well, I guess you start with questions, right? Questions like, why did Jesus pray this out loud? And why is Jesus' prayer, this prayer right here, why is it in the Bible? Why is it recorded in the Bible? Well, Jesus tells us why. In verse 13, Jesus says to his Father, I pray all of this that they that you may have joy and that, and that his joy may be fulfilled in you. That's what he's praying for, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. You know, he prays this right after he just told his disciples. He says to his disciples, you know what? In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus Praise for you. And let me tell you something. Whatever Jesus prays for, he gets. Whatever Jesus prays for, he gets. He prays for you to have a joy that cannot be crushed, that cannot be taken away. Even in your hardest times, even when you get hit with loneliness or suffering or fear or failure, even and especially in the midst of your spiritual battle. Now, let me show you the different things that he prays for so that you can have this invincible joy. 
First of all, if you're taking notes, this is critical. Jesus prays for his own glory. Now that sounds a little weird, doesn't it? Jesus prays for his own glory? But listen to what he prays in verse, verses 1 through 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. In other words, the time for him to go to the cross. The first step in his glorification plan is the shame of the cross. Jesus prays, glorify your son that the son might glorify you. And since you have given him, talking about himself, authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So Jesus has the authority to give eternal life. But what is eternal life? Well, Jesus tells us. He says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is eternal life. That they may know you, Father, the only true God, and that they may know Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He goes on, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, another question. What does Jesus' glory have to do with your joy? What does Jesus' glory have to do with your joy? Two very important things. First, it has to do with the richness of your salvation. Well, let me explain what I mean. Check this out. The very first word of Jesus' prayer is what? It's Father. Now, we're familiar with that now, but it was actually very shocking for Jesus to use that word at that time. Jesus spoke Aramaic, and in the Aramaic word for Father is Abba. And we find 21 prayers of Jesus in the Gospels. And in every single prayer except for one, Jesus addresses God as Abba. Now, this was radically new. No one ever did this before. You can't find it in the Old Testament or any other literature of its day. Saying Abba is like saying Dad or my dear Father. And no one called Almighty God, creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who holds it all together, nobody ever called him my dear Father, my Dad. Wasn't that familiar? This is, a, this is a word that kids would use for their parents. Now, my kids do not call me the royal, magnificent Reverend Matthew Philip Ortiz the first. No, they call me dad. It's not because I didn't ask them to call me the royal, magnificent Reverend Matthew Philip Ortiz the first. It was just too difficult for them, so we just went with dad. Jesus uses Abba, or Father, constantly. And you know what's amazing about this? He invites you to do the same. He invites you to do the same. Jesus tells you when you pray, say, Our Abba 
in heaven. So what Jesus is saying here is that the true essence of eternal life is knowing God the Father as your Abba. And, and not after you die, starting here and now. That is the supreme purpose of your existence. It is eternal life, which is knowing God as your Abba. Eternal life doesn't just mean you never die. Eternal life means that you really start to live. Life is knowing God as your Abba, as your Father. You don't have to wait until you're dead to experience eternal life. If you know God as your Abba, you have eternal life. The glory of Jesus that leads to your joy is found in the richness of your salvation, knowing God as your Father. Second, we see, we see it in the certainty of your salvation. Look again at what he prays for in verse 4. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, what work is he talking about? He's talking about the work of bringing you into God's family. It is done. Right before Jesus dies on the cross, Jesus cries out, it is what? It is finished. It is done. There is nothing else that needs to be done. Jesus did it all. He lived in your place. He died in your place as your representative. That is the essence of the gospel. And Jesus conquered death for you. And then he gave life to you, life with the Father. And your prize for what Jesus did is glorification. It is eternal life, closeness to Abba Father. I mean, do you get that this morning? And because yourself, here's, here's what's, I hope this encourages you. I hope this gives you new freedom. Because your salvation totally depends on Christ, do you realize that there is nothing that you can do to make him love you less? There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. He just loves you because of Christ, and that's grace. The Father welcomes you with open arms and a shout of joy. And that truth, I mean, if you get it, there is freedom in that. There is joy in that. It changes your perspective on life and your hard times and your spiritual battles, how you view other people and your priorities. It changes everything. That is the power of the gospel that transforms hearts and lives. So that's the first thing he prays for. His glory for your joy. Second, Jesus prays for your protection. Starting in verse 11, Jesus says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name or protect them by the power of your name. Keep them which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. And then he prays in verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, 
just as I am not of the world. Now, the world here doesn't mean the created world and, and, and its people in general. Jesus is talking specifically about the world's system of self-centered values, self-centered purposes, self-centered structures that dehumanize people and, and abuse God's creation. And this world's system hates the followers of Jesus. And so Jesus continues to pray in verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of this world. You hear that? He makes it clear what he is not asking for. He says, I ask not that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them, that you protect them from the evil one. If you are a follower of Jesus, he is praying for you right here. And he continues to pray for your protection from the evil one, especially in your spiritual battles. And Jesus always gets what he prays for. So, what kind of protection can you expect? Does Jesus pray for you to have, you know, a good life? Does he pray for you to have good health? Does he pray for you to have good money, admiration, approval, comfort, pleasure, worldly prosperity? No. He doesn't pray for that. He says, just like the world hated me, it will hate you too. And I'm not asking that you be taken out of this hostile world. I'm not asking that you are given a, a problem-free life. I'm not asking for the Father to fix your, you know, your loneliness or give you your dream job. Jesus says, I'm asking for something far better. He says, Father, protect them from the evil one as your children. Jesus is asking the Father to protect you and he's not asking to, for you to be protected for suffering necessarily in this world, but he's asking for protection from the power of the evil one. And the evil one who would use the world's hatred or the world's friendship. The evil one who would use the world's comforts or the world's pain to lure you away from your Abba. And then destroy you forever. So I want you to know that this is our wake-up call. Our enemy is real. Our enemy is strong. He wants to destroy you, and we are weak. Even our prayers, deliver us from the evil one, can be weak sometimes. <laughs> but here's what's amazing. Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is praying for you, and he continues to pray it for you in heaven. And Jesus always gets what he prays for. So you can be encouraged by that. You don't have to live in fear. So what difference does this make today? Let's apply this. There are a lot of Christians with little joy. 
Do you know any? Maybe in the mirror? I know that's true of me a lot of times. So many Christians are, are anxious that the suffering is going to be too much and, and they're not going to be able to hang. I mean, I, I might trust Jesus to keep his end of the bargain, but, but you know, I don't think that I can keep my, I know that I can't keep my end of the bargain. And, and that just, you know, it can just suck the joy right out of my heart and life and, and flood my heart with anxiety. But when he prays for your protection, it means that he will keep you. He will keep you. King Jesus will not let you go no matter what. Even when you let down, uh, when you, when you uh, can't keep your end of the bargain. Jesus kept your side of the bargain for you. And then he empowers you to live it out with a sense of freedom. Because as Paul says in Romans 8, one of my favorite passages, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation, including you, neither anything else in, in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus prays for his glory and your protection. And then third, Jesus prays for his mission through you. I've told you this before. You know, you've heard that Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That doesn't mean that the gates of hell are on the offensive. It means the church is on the offensive against the gates of hell pushing back the darkness, and advancing God's kingdom of grace. Now, look at his prayer in verse 17. It says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And the word sanctify or sanctification usually refers to God's work of grace in us that makes us more and more like Jesus. But this is a little more specific here. Right Here, when he asks the Father to sanctify you, he's specifically asking him to set you apart for a specific purpose. And what purpose is that? Jesus tells us in verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Now, in case you missed the memo, Christian, Jesus has set you apart for the purpose of being involved in his mission to the world. He has set you apart to be involved in his mission to the world. And how does he do that? Verse 19, 
and for their sake I, I consecrate or I sanctify myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. What Jesus is saying here is that he sets himself apart in death so that you and I may be set apart for his gospel mission. So, what do you think about this prayer now? I mean, this, if you take it seriously, if you take Jesus' prayer for you seriously, it should freak you out a little bit because his prayer calls for total dedication. It doesn't allow you to straddle the fence. That's not very comfortable anyway. So in his grace and mercy, he calls you to one side or the other. He hasn't called you to a religious hobby that you tinker around with if you feel like it, go through the religious motions. Jesus' prayer does not allow you and me to share grace in moderation. Jesus' grace is always radical. Jesus' grace compels you to love him and to love your neighbor with the love of Jesus and the truth of Jesus. Wherever you are, Jesus prays, Father, let them, let my people, let my, 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 let my people be absolutely, completely sold out to your calling, completely sold out to your mission, completely sold out to being single-minded, completely sold out to be devoted to the Son and do whatever it takes in their life to make them this way. You know what? God could be calling you to full-time ministry, he could be calling you to become an overseas missionary. I encourage you to take that seriously, think through that, pray through that, talk through that. But if he's not calling you into full-time ministry or to be a missionary overseas, if he's not calling you to do that, your response should not be, whew, thank God I didn't want to do that anyway. But the thing is, you're not off the hook. He's calling you to live as a missionary wherever you are. Wherever you are, right now, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your work, in your school. Jesus is praying for that. That you might realize, come to grips with God's call on your life. He has set you apart for a specific purpose to join God in his mission of advancing his kingdom of grace. How are you advancing God's kingdom? What people has he put in your life? What job has he given to you? How has God been working through you to advance his kingdom? If you don't know, pray. God answers those prayers. God wants to work through you, but that shouldn't make you afraid. Remember, Jesus said, I am praying this out loud so that you can hear it and have the fullness of my joy. And how does this prayer for you to be sanctified, for you to be set apart, for you to be on mission, how, how does that give you joy? Two things. First, it gives you a calling of profound significance. God wired you, he wired you to live for a glorious calling. He wired you, your whole purpose in life, the whole reason where you were created is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is your purpose, no matter what else might be going on in, in your life. 
No matter what job that you have, whatever it is you're studying in school, I mean, that's great. God will work in and through that. But your highest calling that trumps all other calling is God's called you to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. And here's how this works. This, the more you glorify him, the more joy you find in him. And the more joy you find in him, the more you glorify him by living out the love and grace and truth of Jesus with your gospel words and deeds. See, glory and joy always go together. They always go together. You know, there, there have been a lot of times in my life when I have just had, seemed like there was no shred of joy. And you know what, during those times, I don't know about you, um, when it seems like the joy has been sucked out of my heart and life for one reason or another, um, I don't really want to talk to anybody. Am I the only one like that? Sometimes when you're just going through it, you don't want to see anybody, you don't want to talk to anybody. Then God sends me Someone that needs encouragement. Kind of messes with my um, preferences. I don't care if you don't want to talk to anybody. I'm sending somebody to you that needs encouragement. I'm like, fine. <laughs> and you know what? The weirdest thing happens. The weirdest thing happens. In the course of the conversation, and by his grace alone, I mean, in, in ways only that he could make happen, I see Jesus love that person through me and I become filled with the fullness of his joy. And it's funny, it's like, like, it's almost like he sends me somebody to encourage so that I will hear the words coming out of my mouth about who Jesus is and what he has done and the riches of our salvation. And I get reminded of what brings true joy. And that's how it works when you're on mission for God. Even when you don't feel like it, he ends up filling your heart with joy. Jesus' prayer gives you a purpose with so much significance that by his grace and love, he will mess with your life in a good way. Second, Jesus' prayer gives you a calling with guaranteed success. He guarantees your success. Let me explain. You know, another way that we lose joy is failure to fulfill our purpose, right? You get excited about a new chapter in life, a new career, a new project, a new cause, a new ministry, whatever it is, and then life happens because we lived in a mess-up world. The bottom falls out, and your joy can go right down the toilet. But Jesus gives you a purpose, with guaranteed success. Jesus prays for your mission in the world on the basis of his finished work. What that means, what I'm trying to tell you is, success does not depend on you. Success depends on him. You know what? I, I, I don't care if you're Mother Teresa or Billy Graham or or R.C. Sproul, or 
whoever. All of our deeds and serving, it's going to be mixed with sin. It's going to be part of our hearts that wants to make our name great. Part of the stuff in our hearts where we want to make a name for ourselves, Look good, be accepted, or, or whatever. There is sin in our serving. It could be unbelief. It could be cowardice. It could be a lack of gentleness. It could be self-promotion, laziness, rudeness. Thank God all of our sin is overcome by the finished work of Jesus. So your success is guaranteed. It's by his grace. And when you realize that, that changes the way that you serve with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Well, but wait, time out, Pastor Matt. If you tell, if you tell people it all depends on Jesus, won't that make them uh, you know, lazy and have a lack of zeal and passion? Well, Jesus does it all anyway, so I can just kind of coast. Nope. It leads to freedom and joy. It's, you know, it's like, a, it's like a Super Bowl team. Before the game starts, Marty McFly shows up in his DeLorean. He drops off a video from the future. It's a video of the game they're about to play, and they see that they win 42-3. to Do you think they would slack off? You think they would just coast? No way. They'd have a blast. They'd play that game with freedom and joy. Why? Because they know that their victory is in the bag. So Jesus prays for his mission through you. It's guaranteed to have success because it depends on Jesus, not you. And that gives you freedom and joy and zeal. And then you find joy in living on mission. And you might not believe that until you just try it. (laughs) Jesus prays for his glory, your protection, his mission through you, through us together. And if Jesus prays for you, then you will have this joy. Because Jesus always gets what he prays for. So how can you know that he's praying for you? Well, he tells us in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept, they have obeyed your word. So the people Jesus prays for, they're the ones who've obeyed God's word. Does that mean that, that, that they have obeyed God's word 100% perfectly? No. Just look at the disciples. They were all messed up, weren't they? So what's it mean? Verse 7 and 8, Jesus says, Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth what? that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So, to keep God's word, to believe God's word, to cherish God's word, is to believe that Jesus came from the Father, and that there really is nowhere else for you to turn. Of course, of course, 
Do you get this? Of course you grow in obedience to God's word. Faith, your faith in Jesus, if your faith in Jesus is real, then it's going to change the way that you live. Anyone who loves Jesus will keep his commandments. But when it comes down to the heart of the matter, the crucial starting point is this. The people Jesus prays for are those who know Jesus came from the Father and they believed in the Son. Now, in a moment, we're going to apply this in a very personal way. We're going to share the Lord's Supper together. And during the Lord's Supper, I want you to remember, you remember, remember how I mentioned that there were 21 recorded prayers in the gospel? And every single one of them, Jesus calls God as Abba, except for one prayer. And the Lord's Supper is a picture of that one time. As Jesus was hanging on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken. Why was Jesus forsaken? He was forsaken so that you never will be. He was forsaken because he took your place to die as your representative. He experienced the Father's absence so that you can always experience the Father's acceptance. And if you're here this morning and you've never believed that Jesus came from the Father, that you have nowhere else to turn, that instead of taking the, the, the bread and the cup, take Jesus himself and believe in him today. Confess your need for him. That he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins so that you wouldn't have to. And that he rose again to conquer death and judgment and to give you new life and union with the Father. And if that's you this morning and, and uh, God has opened your heart to put your faith and trust in Jesus, I want to encourage you. Tell Tell one of your Christian friends so that they can share in your joy and encourage you in your faith. If you are a Christian, as we share in the Lord's Supper, know this. No matter how badly you screwed up, no matter how cold your hearts may have been toward Jesus or toward his church, no matter how little your joy, when you come to God believing in Jesus, then like the prodigal son, your Abba, your father, will run to meet you. He will throw his arms around you. He will pick you up and kiss you as his son or his daughter, and he will throw a party for you and dance with you. Why? Because the work is done. You will always be his child you, he will always be your father. Jesus accomplished it. It is finished. And you can rest in him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me?